With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers. The only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals. From the Wild West to the Mafia. All the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers, and we are continuing on the Prohibition Trail. We are on the rum trail, the rum running trail, if you will. This time, uh, we're going to switch it up. Switch it up. Uh, no criminal here, but oh. this guy's going to bring down one of the most famous prohibition criminals there is. Everybody knows who this guy is. If it's not, uh, probably the only reason why they know of him is from bringing down, yes, Al Capone. It's the one and only Elliot Ness, leader of the Untouchables, mm. the unbribable, mm. unbribable uh, officer. You can't. He's not. He's not getting under anybody's payroll. But the FBI or the CIA or the the FBI. Is the movie Untouchables top five in your all-time movie list? No. No, I was going to say. Even, a lot not, of people would be like, what are you talking about? It's literally not it's even top in the, five. Not even top ten. Literally not even the top 20. Uh, Untouchables. All, all-time best movies ever. No. No. Um, no. If you want to go with like mob and crime movies, it's top 20 for sure. Well, obviously. It's got to be. But all-time movies? If it doesn't make your top 20 in mafia or crime well, what you said and... though is maybe not even make a top ten in a mafia or crime movie. <clears throat> well, no, because this isn't a mafia guy, right? But a crime movie, you know what I mean? Nonetheless, well, because the top ten is going to be dominated by all three Godfathers. Oh um, man, not the third God- Godfather. Uh, ain't going to be in the top ten. Still in the top fifteen. In top Either 15 or, for sure. Number one, number two. You're gonna have, then you're going to have um, uh, Casino. Then you're going to have. Um, What's it called? Why can I not think of the the, the best movie, Good the best fellas. mafia, yeah, Goodfellas? Then you're gonna have The Departed in there. Departed. Then you're gonna have um, uh, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco. You're gonna you have. have um, they call me Whitey Whitey Bulger or some shit. That just came out a few years back with uh, Johnny Depp. That was good. Well, it was just Whitey, I think, or uh, Bulger, one Whitey of the one of the That was good. That's top ten all day, right uh, there. I don't know about top ten. Even the Irishman. That's, the Irishman. That's um, um, there. That's uh, what else. Car- Carly- Carly- Carlito's Way, Way American, uh, American uh, Once Upon a Time in America, uh, American uh, Gangster was good. American, with, uh, American Gangster, Denzel Washington, Denzel is but good I don't know too. if that's top ten. 
Maybe. That's a good one. I mean, you got all sorts of shit. That's, Training you know, day, you got to put that in that because that's like a mafia. That's not mafia. Yeah, There's is. no mafia in there. Basically, you got oh, all these cops. You're in L.A. with the... With the it's the cops. Latin gangs and shit, man. Well, it's the cops that are in mafia. No. Yeah. It's not a mafia movie. If basically. It's a criminal movie, right. yes. But not a mafia movie. I thought we were, well, if I you thought wanna, we were saying mafia if movie. You want, why can't you call the police organization a mafia? Because these motherfuckers, they stick together. Well, what? You want to defund them? No. Defund the police? Never said I want to defund them, but police are like that. <laughs> not all, but no. you know. Only, uh. They're like the mafia. In the only, place. only Alonzo was. <laughs> Not only his crew and fucking twenty-five other people. He's Lonzo. What you give him? Twenty-five other people ahead of him. No, I think I know what it is. No, let let the kid talk, Alonzo. Right. I think that means when you get on the streets, you don't really know what the streets are. <laughs> what? He's talking about the story of the snail. Right. And it comes back. He's like, what the fuck's your problem? <laughs> that white, that white guy. What's his name? What was his name? The old guy. Uh, what the fuck was his name? I don't know. They blow his fucking uh, chest in, though. Take his money under his Can I have some kitchen. of that good shit? Fuck it. Might as well. He's like, man, you guys better pay for that. He's like, don't worry. City got you covered. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. You'll pay for it. All right. With your life. Yeah, now that we sidetracked, Elliot Ness. Like I said, a lot of people probably know about this guy just specifically and only for being on the task force that brought down... Al Capone, but uh, believe it or not, he had a career after that. And did he? he what had a career after that? What a uh, what a sad life this guy's life actually end up being, which happens with a lot of the gangsters and uh, lawmen and everybody else in the first twenty or so Wild West episodes. This is kind of like a Wild West type story with Elliot Ness because he right. started on top, got on top, and then. Pretty much died penniless and, um, spoiler alert, died penniless and alone and just just, right. uh, just a laughing stock, pretty much. What well, did he, though? Was he a laughing stock? Well, we'll see. The stuff it, that he accomplished throughout his life. Well, no, he'll always be known for bringing down Al Capone, but Willie. it didn't get him too far in, in his actual life. Like, right. like again, like a lot of the Wild West people, it's, it's the stuff that he did didn't really get appreciated until long after he died. Long after it might got it might it might have got appreciated in the moment, but it was quickly forgotten. Well, that usually happens. Then when uh, when the prohibition era and all that started getting popular with historians and shit, then you start digging and digging and digging and digging. That's when all the good stuff comes out. I still don't believe we're done yet because there's so much digging to do from the twenties on up. Of oh my goodness, the thing is. Organized crime and the it's thing everywhere. Is to get like an, we're talking about the police with the training day. The it's, thing is to get an episode of this on one person, like this Elliot Ness one, for example, just like the Bill McCoy one previously. It's probably only going to be about thirty or so minutes because it's not like a Wyatt Earp or El Capone or right. Lucky Luciano where there's just documented upon documented shit. There's just what you know. And it's not that, that it doesn't go in depth a lot of like in between about the the most famous stuff they yeah, have. They got you know, 100, 130 years, the 130 uh, years of research. Well, <clears throat> you can go on any website right now and you'll read about Elliot Ness's life in less. It's a it's a less than five minute read, I guarantee. You. So right. uh, we're gonna turn it somehow probably into about a half hour. Less so than three minute read probably. Yeah, and. That's the thing, though. A lot of these literally, yes, there's there's tons, there's hundreds upon hundreds, hundreds. of lesser known, even in the Wild West. We could have done 
100 episodes, some of them could have been only 10 minutes long, because literally that's all you're going to know about the person, but we could have profiled 100 different fucking people right. in the Wild West. But, I mean, it's not worth it. I'm not going to fucking no. sit down just to do a 10-minute episode. This is dumb. Well, we might do, like, a 10-minute or a 20-, 30-minute episode of 15 people. <laughs> that's that's too much info. It, nobody like knows. This, nobody this, Nobody's going to remember the first person that we talked about. Like What's this, the point? This era in... Uh, in Wild West history, it would be like sports history. Or we can just be like, hey, go look up all the right. all the other hundreds this, of people that, that were in this yeah. era. One of these episodes, we'll just name off a bunch of names. Look these sons of bitches up. Right. Sounds better. Well, nevertheless, on this episode, we're covering Elliot Ness. Nevertheless, we're with Ooh, Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness, oh, nevertheless. This dude was born on April 19, 1903 in the Kensington neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Oh, and he'll, Chicago, uh, boys. He'll make his name there. Mm-hmm. He was the youngest of five children born to Peter Ness, who lived from 1850 to 1931. Okay. 81 years old. And Emma King from 1863 to 1937. Young and... Nice, long lives. Yeah. 60. Young and... His parents were both Norwegian immigrants. They operated a bakery as well. Ness went to Christian Finger High School in Chicago and the University of Chicago, which he graduated in 1925 with a degree in political science and business business Business? administration and was a member of the Sigma Alpha Epsilon. The political science is for something else, but the business administration, that's definitely Political science is a worthless degree. Right. Well, he began his career as an investigator for the retail credit company of Atlanta, assigned to the Chicago Territory, where he conducted background in- investigations for the purpose of credit information. Right. So he's just like, what's this guy's credit background? Right. Like, are we going to loan to this guy? All what's right. going on here? Well, I'm in 1929, he returned to the university to take a graduate course in criminology, mm. which was tossed, taught by August Vollmer, a noted police performer and chief of the Berkeley Police Department. Vollmer's ideas about professionalizing law enforcement would influence Ness throughout his career. Which, so, this guy's, uh, so this so this guy this guy came in, he was like, I don't know where really what I really want to do. So I'm gonna take this class. Just so happens to be taught by a guy who's like, I'm not gonna lie to you. Our uh our uh our police force is eh, kind of funky, Rand, you know. I think I think it could be it could be changed. I think law all over the land, every police force at this time in America was just Right, they were just. It was kind of like a rogue it's business. Cops, cops were going right. on their own. This nothing was enforced right. within the within the bureau or within the precinct or within the agency or whatever. And right, this guy uh, Vollmer apparently we need to professional. We need to be professionals. Right. So he's like, I'm gonna teach the school for the next guys coming up. Hopefully these guys. And uh, we'll see that Ness takes that to heart. Well, Ness's brother-in-law Alexander Jamie. I hate it when I hate a guy to go with two first names. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Uh, Alexander Jamie, uh, an agent of the Borough Investigation, which became the FBI in 1935, influenced Ness to enter the law enforcement. He was like, "Buddy, I'm telling you right now, good living and do what the fuck you want. Come on." Or it could have went the other way. Hey, buddy, you want to really make a change in this in this world? And right, right, his brother-in-law. Yeah, he's right. Come on, man. Right. Just keep on talking about it. Once you join the force, you can do it, bud. Right. And he's like, really? He's like, you can do it, man. You're tougher than half those guys out there. He's like, really? <laughs> and his wife's like, yeah, babe. Your name's do it. Your name's Elliot with right. with one T with one T. And you got a weird last name. <laughs> like, what you talking about, homie? You got two first names. <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, anyway. Alexander Jamie. Alexander Jamie. Whatever, uh, Elliot Ness. <laughs> get out of my house. Uh, Ness joined the United States Treasury Department in 1926, working with 1,000 strong Bureau of Prohibition in Chicago. Oh. March 30th. Nope, it's not March 30th. It's March 1930. March 30th, you right. know. March 1930. Attorney. Frank J. Loesch, L-O-E-S-C-H, if I said it wrong, of the <laughs> Chicago Crown Commission as President Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. To take down, you guessed it, Al Capone. Al Capone. They're like, we got to take this son bit down, Mr. President. He's like, like, look. Right. Al Capone is running Chicago. He's got the mayors. He's got the police. He's got everybody but in the city pretty much working But he's basically from Chicago to New York. That, that strip. Right there. Al? Yeah. Al and he's working towards... Uh, the West. In Indiana, all, he's in the Midwest, all over, man. I'm Al sure. Capone just controlled everything. We did an episode on him. You remember? Fucking hot, nuts. Hot Springs. Right. Well, agents of the Borough of Internal Revenue, working That's under... the IRS. Working under Elmer Iray. I-R-E-Y. I-R-E-Y. Uh, and special agent Frank J. Wilson of the Intelligence Unit. So we got a bunch of intelligent motherfuckers up on this bitch. <laughs> One of them's with a unit. <laughs> right. And they were like, dude, we're already investigating investigating Capone, bud, and his associates. They're like, what are you investigating him for? Income tax Income invasion. Ta- they're like, it's like, dude, that's the only way we're going to get this guy. You can go ahead and waste months and months and months of surveillance and following around and gathering evidence. But the only way to get this guy is through taxes. Yeah, because I don't think Rico was invented yet. So you nope. couldn't get him on uh, nope, couldn't get him on Rico. Either. So. Yeah. Only tax way to get the guy is tax the only way. Well, in late 1930, Attorney General William D. Mitchell, who was seeking a faster end to the case, implemented a plan devised by President Hoover for sending a small team of uh, prohibition agents. Kind of like the Pinkertons back in the day? Pretty right? much, right? Yeah, President Hoover sent, uh, sent a small team of prohibition agents working under a special United States attorney to target mm. the illegal breweries and supply routes mm. of Capone while gathering evidence of conspiracy to violate the National Prohibition Act which we all know is uh, the Volstead Act. Act. Well, U.S. Attorney George E.Q. Johnson, the Chicago prosecutor directly in charge of both the prohibition and income tax investigations of Capone, chose a 27-year-old Ness, who is now assigned to the Justice Department, to lead this small squad, which we'll find out right now what they were called. This guy had to been, uh, Elliot Ness, had to been highly recommended by high officers. Uh, His his stepbrother was in the FBI. Right. So... Ness knew that there was corruption in Chicago's law enforcement agents. And uh, he was like, I need to go through every record of all the prohibition agents to create a reliable team. And you know what we're going to call them, guys? They're like, what are we going to call them, Ness? The Untouchables. He's like, I want to know every single record of right. every single agent that you guys have on your staff. Right. I want to know if they've even been, right. even been somebody turned a stink eye to them and right. possibly being dirty. Because I ain't having none of right. those guys on my team. Ain't right. nobody on my team going right. to take a bribe. Ain't nobody on my team going to be susceptible right. to any type of fucking illegal activity at all. Right. We got one one, one goal and one goal only. Take down this bitch. Mm-hmm. We got to get him. Uh, that list complied to about six at first, but eventually grew to about ten. And I said it earlier, you know them as the Untouchables, the movie Untouchables. Kevin Costner and who else what was in it? Um, Robert De Niro. Okay, there you go. Raids against illegal stills and breweries began in March 1931. 
Within six months, Elliot Ness's agents had destroyed bootlegging operations worth an estimated $500,000. A lot and of money in the 30s. Right. And representing an additional $2 million in lost income for Al Capone. Al Capone so, you know, alone. This guy is like, oh, hell no. These sons of bitches. Their rage would ultimately cost... Ultimately. Ultimately. Ultimately cost... <laughs> Their raids would ultimately cost Capone in excess of $9 million in revenue. Um, it was probably about 12 seriously. Why didn't, what begs the question, why didn't Capone put a hit out on any of these fucking sons of bitches? Right. This cost him $9 million and he just let, it, let it go? No, because it was done by the president. This was federal shit now. You just ain't no small time, boys. Yeah, but. This is like the other side of the Al Capone story. We should have ran this the next episode. Well, the main source of information for the raids was an extensive wiretapping operation. Failed attempts by members of the Chicago outfit to bribe or intimidate Ness and his agents, like I've been saying, inspired Charles Schwartz of the Chicago Daily News to begin calling them untouchable. We just fucking said that. Well, now we know where the name came from. George Johnson adopted the nickname and promoted it to the press, establishing it as the squad's unofficial title. We the untouchable strike again. Right. The untouchable. They raided us still, and they're on the case. Sixty barrels of whiskey was emptied into the city's right. drains. Right, they got a picture of them standing next to a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. boxes of whiskey and wine and shit. Right, mm. beer. Right, the efforts of Elliot and his team inflicted major financial damage on El, uh, and his and, operations, and his operations, and led to his indictment on five thousand yes. violations of the Volstead Act that. in June of 1931. Well, he sure did. But right. guess what the judge said? He said we don't want him on the Volstead Act. Right. Federal Judge James H. Wilkerson prevented that indictment from coming to trial. He's like, no. He's like, dude, guys, slow down. No, just slow he didn't say that at all. Down. He didn't say that at all. Slow down. He said, yeah, slow down. On this. We got got something else we want to do Check this out, guys. Right. Instead of getting them on those charges, which ain't going to do anything, we got this tax evasion case built by George Johnson and Frank Wilson. Mm -hmm. You guys remember George Johnson and Frank Wilson? Mm -hmm. October 17th, 1931, Al Capone. Al Capone. He was. Al Capone was convicted on three of 22 counts of tax evasions. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison. And? Following a failed appeal, began his sentence in 1932. Yeah, we all know what happened to him. Right. 3rd of May, 1932, Elliot Ness was among the federal agents who took Capone from the county Cook County Jail to Dearborn Station, where he boarded the Dixie Flyer to Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. The only time both men are known to have ever met in person. Hmm. Ain't that some crazy shit? It's like, dude, I took you down. And Al Capone's like, you took me down? He's like, not really. Those guys did. George and, uh... Well... George and, uh... What was his name? George and, uh... Frank did. George and Frank took you down. George and I'm Frank getting, took you but down. But I'm getting credit but, for this shit. <laughs> but, I mean, he did. Because his investigations of what Capone was doing proved right. that Capone well, was... It, well, basically, it, his investigations were able to take the other investigations to court. Well... Tax evasion. Ness's investigations proved that... Capone was earning this absurd amount of money and right. clearly not being paid into taxes. Right. So uh, that's what spurred the tax evasion I don't, conviction. I don't so why do these motherfuckers never pay their damn taxes? I mean, they're, I mean, you can't come pay on. taxes on illegal money. You can still pay taxes on. They had speakeasies and shit. Yeah, but come on, your speakeasies. They got books, and then your books on the speakeasy ain't earning no nine million dollars a year. I know it's true. That's why they need to be more. Uh, 
quiet with their money. Well, that's that's when money laundering and all that good shit comes into play uh, later on when we take a look at the mob where they, they were, so, had all they that were money sophisticated no like known. that. They could have had all that money no one would have known. Don't go out and spend yeah, but, but thousands of If you remember of Al Capone's episode that we did, he was spending money on cars, houses, right. all this shit. That's which, what I'm saying. Which they looked at the books of his right. legal businesses and said, hey, <laughs> this don't add up. How's right. this guy affording this stuff? So You can do it. But you just got to keep. Of course, it back. you can funnel money through and falsify shit. But apparently, Al Capone didn't. I'm, I'm sure. You don't I'm almost. To... I'm sure that Al Capone's case was a stepping stone into other um, organized criminal organizations saying, "Hey, well, you, you remember? To, you, you remember how? Uh, you remember how Capone got busted? Why don't we funnel this money, launder it? You know, clearly how they did in Breaking Bad, right. laundered his money through the car wash." Yeah, but still, there was millions and millions where he couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, uh, Bill Burr and the other black guy laid on it. It was a fucking... Right. It's crazy. He's like, we, what are you going to do? Crazy. I mean, but but still. Still, clearly Capone didn't have a, <laughs> didn't have a way of uh, making his easily. money legal. Easily. He could have easily said he had clearly more... Clearly didn't because he fucking uh, got brought down on tax evasion, right. didn't he? He could have easily uh, put in more work than what was recorded on his books. Not that hard. Print up receipts. Yeah, that would that you just, would. You just pay somebody standing yeah, at a cash register. If you're you stand, you pay somebody. If you're for, running a business right. like a legit business that you're buying stuff from, you'd have to falsify the uh, product you're buying. I mean, come on, that, that's a that's a paper trail leading to fraud that that can easily. That's be true because all that stuff you're gonna be like, all right, or is the uh, I paid, I paid. Well, where's the where's I paid the invoices? sixty thousand dollars a week in. Um, let's say he owns five restaurants. I paid $60,000 a week in food costs. Right. Where's, Where's the, the fucking receipts from the food company? The food you know, costs, right. that's what I'm saying. Like I mean, you can do that. And then just hand it out to the people, <laughs> to the people. What could, who's the people? Anybody. Just hand it out to people. They could still go to the food company's records. And they're they, not going to record him buying $60,000. How are they? Cause you order it. What are you going to do with the food? The object you, you, here is to you, save your money, not right. spend money unnecessarily. No, you sell it in your restaurant, and doesn't uh, make any sense. You're you're buying sixty thousand dollars worth of food just to funnel sixty thousand dollars of illegal money. No, you buy. It, That's you, dumb. Because you can make money, more money off the food too. You you serve what you need in your restaurant, and then plus you funnel out the rest to others all the time. That's stupid. It's not stupid. That's dumb. It's not clearly. It's dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1932, Ness was promoted to chief investigator of the Prohibition Bureau for Chicago. Following the end of Prohibition in 1933, he was reassigned as an alcohol tax agent in the Moonshine Mountains of Southern Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Damn right. And in 1934, he was transferred to Cleveland, Ohio. Well, gotta go with shitty Cleveland. Well, in December 1935, Cleveland Mayor Harold H. Burton hired Ness as the city's safety director, which put him in charge of both the police and fire departments. Look at this guy running the the whole town safety. uh, Right. Safety organizations, in, in, huh? In Cleveland. Cleveland. City of lights. Mm. Elliot Ness soon began a groundbreaking reform program inspired by the ideas of August Vollmer. Remember what I told you guys right. that August Vollmer's uh, ideas of professionalizing the police come to right. Ness? Oh, right. here it is. Which focus on professionalizing and modernizing the police department. Mm-hmm. Stopping juvenile delinquency Ooh, and improving traffic safety. He could have done that. He declared war on the mob, Uh-oh. And, and his primary targets included Big Angelo Leonardo. Well, we'll have something on him since uh, his name's highlighted. <laughs> Little Angelo Scura. We won't have nothing on him. <laughs> Mo Delitz. We might have something on him. 
John Angarola. No. George Angarosola. Oh. And Charles Paluzzi. 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 Charles Paluzzi and George Angarosola. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ness was also safety director uh, at the time of several grisly murders that occurred in the Cleveland area from 1935 to 1938, which those grisly murders are known as the Cleveland Torso Murders. Right. Everybody knows that. So you guys can go look up that, the Cleveland Torso Murders. Obviously, it sounds exactly how it is. Imagine the, uh, Mm -hmm. you guys know the Black Dahlia case from Hollywood where her torso was found on the lawn. It's pretty much the same uh, gist of this. They think they're actually connected. (laughs) Just torsos turning up all over the place. But anyways, he was the uh, safety director at the time of those murders. Uh, from 1935 to 38, though he had oversight of the police department, he was only peripherally involved in the investigation, so he never actively investigated him. Uh, he was the one who interrogated one of the prime suspects, though, who was Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, and he used a polygraph test. At one point in time, two bodies of victims of the serial killer were placed within view of his office window either. Mm. So whoever the fucking killer was was like... I know who you are, Elliot Ness, and I'm going to put these victims right here next to your office window. Right. And you ain't going to catch me. Right. Man, that's some crazy I shit. think they were caught. Um, you got to go look up that story by, your, by yourself. This yeah. isn't a serial killer podcast. Not yet. 1938, <laughs> Elliot Ness and his wife, Edna. You sound, like, you, sound like, uh, you sound like Corey in the early days of Lee and Corey. How? Not yet. <laughs> All right. Not I kill you. <laughs> 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 oh, what was that? What was that, Corey? Nothing. What are you saying? What are you saying? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, in 1938. Oh, <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go check out our <laughs> other podcast, besides the Mouth of Michiganders, Lee and Corey on the case, where we take it's a private for two private investigators, Lee. Uh, Lee uh, Danker and Corey Spondent, where we go yep. on crazy private investigator cases and all sorts of uh, shenanigans, Whatever. improv. Uh, we're up. just we're just improving and doing what we think is funny. So if you guys, Lee and Corey on the case, go look that up. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, 1938, Elliot Ness and his wife Edna divorced. Oh, no. His otherwise remarkably successful career. Remember I told you guys this was going to be a downward spiral? (laughs) Right. His otherwise remarkably successful career in Cleveland withered gradually. Oh, there it is. Sort of like slowly went away. There it is. It was like a flower in the sun. He especially fell out of favor. Right. He especially fell out of favor after he had the city's large shanty towns evacuated and burned during the Cleveland torso murders. Cleveland critics targeted his divorce. He was like, this dude is crazy. His wife even, don't even he want to. can't him. even keep a relationship. His high-profile social drinking. Oh, he's he a, was a fucking drunk. drunk. <laughs> Look at him, guys. He's like the, the stereotypical 50s um, right. um, detective in right. the movies. He's just fucking drunk right. and, you know, like, trying to redeem himself. Not now. only that, did you isn't, see? Isn't the detective or the cop guy in um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, isn't he like a drunk fucking type dude? Right. Yeah. He's like, a he's Dick like Tracy. that guy. He's like a Dick Tracy right. guy. Or Archer. 
I don't know who Archer is. Never watched Isn't that a cartoon on yeah. FX or something. Yeah, I've never watched it. You but. should watch it. It's fucking fantastic, yeah. dude. I'm telling yeah. you. We're gonna watch a little clip here in a minute. Yeah, we're not. And you're gonna like it. Well, we're not. Uh, where are we at here? He's a social drinker. Oh, they're pissed off that he was a social drinker and high profile and that high profile social drinking led to a uh, terrible, terrible, terrible scene at a car accident one night when he was driving drunk. He was just a belligerent piece of shit. Well, it wasn't terrible because when you uh, go on to the next part of it, <laughs> no, for his behavior, well, well, for his reputation, right? Right. Although there were no victims in this mm. accident, Elliot. Fearful that he might lose his job, tried to get the accident covered up. Right. I mean, it's just terrible. Later on, his involvement in the accident was revealed by a local newspaper and calls for his resignation increased. However, however, Burton's successor as mayor, Frank Lausch, L A U S C H E, Kept Ness on. He did. He was like, he's a good guy. He's like, he's a good guy. I mean, we know everybody makes mistakes. He just, he just got divorced. Hey, the Elliot Ness. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. <laughs> he just got divorced. I mean, it's sad. It's sad stuff. It's sad right. stuff. But he's really good guy. I mean, he's great. He's great. He's great guy. It's great people on both sides. <laughs> in 1939, Ness married. Oh, I see. He wasn't was uh, out of uh, out of action that long, yeah. right? He didn't have no lads between the vads, right. as they say, 1939. He was pumping. <laughs> he was pumping on. Ness married illustrator Eveline Michelau. Uh-huh. Michelau in uh, 1942. The Nesses moved to Washington, D.C., where he worked for the federal government. Okay. He directed the battle against prostitution in communities surrounding military bases where venereal disease was a serious problem. Right. That is, if you look up... You do a little more research on right. um, prostitution around military bases, and especially in the time during right. World War II when they're training and all that World stuff. World War II, all that Vietnam. They all had that shit. they had a, a big problem of getting diseases right. on their soldiers from prostitution right. shit, and some even um, deliberately right. from the enemy yeah, were perfect, sending yeah. chicks with fucking diseases yep. out to infect the soldiers. Yeah, just dude. like that, the pot in Vietnam. Right. That's a big. That's a big big thing. You guys look up diseases and the prostitutions around military bases back in the day. That's another podcast. <laughs> Later, he made a number of forays into the corporate world, <laughs> all of which failed Owen to his lack of business acumen. He didn't mm. have no business acumen. He's just nope. he's like, I can investigate. That's it. I can't. <laughs> I can't type two ninety nine on, uh-uh. on the uh, uh-uh. cash register. What's the sales tax? In this? Right. <laughs> well, I don't get it. Well, in nineteen forty four, he left to become chairman of the Diebold Corporation, a security safe company based in Ohio. Mm. After a second divorce and third marriage. Oh no, dude! What are you doing? He ran unsuccessfully for mayor of Cleveland in 1947, Uh-oh. after which he left Diebold in 1951. In the aftermath, Elliot Ness was forced into taking various odd jobs to earn a living. And he's just keep, he just keeps going down the cliff further and further. He went to a bookstore. He wanted to be a clerk at a bookstore. We didn't mm. want to be. but Well, he didn't want to be, but right. I mean, he had to be. He's like, this is freaking boring. I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, well, the electronics hey, store. Like, what else do you want to do, Elliot? All right. You can be a wholesaler at the electronics parts store. All right. Yeah, you know, I'm tired of selling stoves. Uh, Why don't I sell something that gets cooked on them? Right. <laughs> hey, man, you see me selling those stoves? Well, check out these frozen hamburger patties. <laughs> they go great together. Right. Or you buy this your stove. Your stove sucks and your burger's you, rotten. You buy this stove, you get 10 free hamburger patties. They, frozen, yeah, of right. And they splash water in his face. Why would he do that? Because the stove quit working and the hamburger patties were rotten. Oh, right. <laughs> right. They got all my family sick. We had to shit for two days. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Asshole. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now, 
1956, he came to work for a startup company called Guaranteed Paper Corporation, which claimed to have a new method of water making legal. Watermarking legal. Right. Mar- uh, which claimed to have a new method of watermarking legal and official documents to prevent counterfeiting. He was like, check this shit out, guys. Uh, little known fact, Guaranteed Paper Company or Corporation was the, six, or the predecessor to uh, Dunder Mifflin in Stanford, Connecticut. Was it? Stanton, Connecticut. Was it really? It's, it's uh, uh, Scranton. Scranton, yeah. No, the writing. Scranton branch is the other one. No. This is... Uh, Scranton. S- s- no, Scranton is the other branch. The other... Uh, Dunder, Dunder Mifflin with Michael Scott in them is it's in the... Uh, is in... Uh, oh, it's in... Uh, it's, um, I think it's in Scranton. Stanford or... No, it's in Scranton. Stanton. Is it Scranton? No, it's Scranton. It's Joe Biden's little piece of shit fucking little town. Scranton. Oh, that's right. Right, 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 right. I was thinking of the one where Jim went to the other office after... Oh, yeah, for what a minute. was that one? Well, I forget. I but... can't remember either. Right. Well, anyway, the <laughs> guy was like, hey, office. dude. Hey, dude, we've been talking all these years. How can we figure out what's real and what's not? Well, guess what? I got it. It's called watermarking. They're like, what? What's watermarking? Well, let me show you. Well, they knew what watermarking is. These guys just claim to have a new method of doing right. it. Right. Elliot Ness was offered the job because of his expertise in law enforcement and moved from Cleveland to Cowdersport, Pennsylvania, where much of the investment capital for the company was located. So he basically went to headquarters. Okay, but still uh, bounce around town from town. That's not good for him. And still getting great jobs, though. I mean, not so great that he's now drinking more heavily. And he spent some free time in a local bar telling stories of a law enforcement career while oh. in um, Crowder Sport, Pennsylvania. Guess who I took down, motherfuckers? Well, you won't believe. unfortunately, you won't right. Believe. He's like, hey, hey. You won't even hey. believe who I took hey, down. Hey, no, 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 no. You fucking sit here. I fucking, don't you fucking sit there and say that. I fucking took out Acapone. And they're like, ah, you I took fucking out. took him down. He took it. Drink another one. <laughs> Drink another one. Right, you know fucking, it. I gar- fucking did. I guarantee right. he was sitting at the uh, bar fucking doing that same right. exact stuff. Everybody's no, laughing at him. No, fuck you. I no. fucking took him down and I did. <laughs> I, was, I was the highest decorated officer at that point in time in Chicago. Well, unfortunately for him, though, his life's about to spiral even more because guaranteed paper began to fall apart when it became clear that one of Ness's business partners had misrepresented the nature of their supposedly proprietary watermarking process, leaving Ness in serious financial jeopardy. Oh, so no. basically, not basically, these guys said they had a new way of watermarking legal documents, which turned out to be totally false, they and it didn't. wasn't a new way, they and didn't. it was probably less successful right. and less um, right. secure as the the other way that people had been doing right. it. It didn't work out. Yeah, that I mean, sucks. sucks for you, Elliot. 1931, a member of El Capone's gang promised Elliot Ness that two $1,000 notes. back a little bit now. Right. Uh, that two $1,000 notes equivalent today as $17,018. Also back when they actually had $1,000 uh, bills. Right. And he said these two notes would be on his desk every Monday morning if he turned a blind eye to the bootlegging activity. So he said, I'm telling you, I'm giving you two grand a week. Do what you do anywhere else, but just leave me alone. Which could have set Ness up for life, for life right. literally. Right. Elliot Ness being the man that he is and thinking of his uh, predecessor. Not his predecessor, his... Uh, Successors, maybe? Thinking of his what? The his guy, uh, his, mentor? His name? Yeah, his mentor. What's his Volmer. name? Volmer. Volmer. He's like, no! 
He's like, I will, uh, I will, I will bring prestige. I will refuse these bribes, and years later, I will struggle financially. <laughs> I will bring prestige and honor to this badge. Right. I will not accept your bribes. Right, and he didn't, and his, his, he was right. Years later, he struggled financially. Mm, if only he would have took those $2,000 notes. He was near penniless at the time of his death. With his role in bringing down the greatest freaking uh, bootlegger of all time, El Capone, having been largely forgotten. Mm-hmm. His heroic reputation underwent a resurgence with the posthumous publication of the That's 1957 my point. That's my book. Point. These guys always... Right. People forget. I mean, I mean, he did turn into a freaking town. We'll, we'll discuss that right. later. Yeah. Well, anyway, 1957 book that came out that he co-written with Oscar Fraley. And the 1959 and 1993 TV. Today, Junior. Stanley. Stanley. The 1959 and 1993 television series and the 1987 film and related media adapted from it. Shortly after his approval of the final galleys for the Untouchables, Ness uh, collapsed and died at his home in Countersport, Pennsylvania, of a heart attack on May 16, 1957. Ain't that some shit? The poor fellow was only 54 years of age. Uh, undoubtedly, the heavy drinking of whiskey and God knows I mean, what else he was putting in his body was uh, took the toll on him. 54 years old. Mm. Wow. His body was cremated, and his ashes were scattered in one of the small ponds on the grounds of Lakeview Cemetery in Cleveland. Okay. An admirer later donated a plot near the pond and erected a cenotaph, which is a big ass. Right. Gravestone, pretty much. Mm. In his honor there, Ness was survived by his widow, Elizabeth Anderson Seaver, and adopted son, Robert. That's fantastic. Mm. It's great stuff. Elliot Ness collaborated with Oscar Fraley in writing the book, The Untouchables. Which we, uh, yes. Which we just said. Right. Which was released in 1957, which also we just said. Yes. After Elliot died. Right. The book went on to sell 1.5 million copies. Damn. And inspired many TV shows and movies. Sure did, which we just said. Most notably, the 1959 TV series. We just said all this garbage. <laughs> no! Yes, we did. But it's a little more, because uh, the 1959 TV series, The Untouchable, was starring Robert Stack. Stack. You know 19- who Robert Stack is? Right. And Who's Robert Stack? And the film, The Untouchable, starring Kevin Costner. Who's Robert Stack? As Elliot Ness and Robert De Niro as El Capone. Who's Robert Stack? Robert Stack, he did the fucking uh, the one series. He did the one series. What's one? What in, is the uh, one series? It was in the. It was after this, wasn't it? Robert Stack is the uh, unsolved mystery guy. Yeah. No. Later in the night, when they came over there, suspects are still looking for him, and he's still on the, the run, voice? be armed and dangerous. The voice. No, Robert Stack, the guy that presents uh, the original unsolved no, mystery. John Walsh. No, that's America's Most Wanted. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Robert, Robert Stack is uh, unsolved mysteries original host guy. Is he? Yeah. He did another one, though, Dude, after Robert, this. Robert Stack, back in the day, in the 50s and 60s, he was nominated for awards. He was in a whole bunch of shit. Yeah, but he was in another one before <clears throat> Unsolved Mysteries that I was thinking about. I don't think it was. Yeah. Countersport, Pennsylvania, the town where Ness spent his final months and died, has held an annual Elliot Ness Festival every third weekend in July since 2018. Well, that's not, not that long. It took him so long to do that. Past events have included a public reunion of people descended from the original Untouchables, a dramatization of Al Capone's trial, film screenings, author talks, and antique car shows. In 2019, an Elliot Ness Museum, inspired by the annual festival, opened in downtown Cowdersport, featuring several antique cars and exhibit during 
Ness's life and career. And uh, as far as I, as far as we know, that's the only town that is. Uh, what's the what's the word? Is uh, memorializing uh, Elliot Ness to this day. Right. Which is kind of sad, which brings me back to my uh, point at the beginning. This guy in the 30s, yeah, he was popular at the time with the untouchables and all that stuff. But as soon as Prohibition ended, he moved on to do all this other stuff in Cleveland and all this other stuff. And then slowly but surely drank himself, drank himself. It was probably an asshole in public every time he got drunk. was probably talking shit to people and just a town drunk. But happened to hold a badge and, you know, over overlook the police and fire or whatever. Right. All that. The more you do that kind of stuff, all the, all the, yeah, I mean, Al Capone, this is 20 years later now. Nobody cares about Al Capone no more. So right. guess what? Your little legacy of the one time you did something good that, it, I mean, it's only going to get you so far in life. Right. All right. What a sad story. Sad, sad. Did, did, you, not- did you know any of this about Elliot Ness besides, not- um, did the not, Al Capone stuff? Did only knew the Al Capone stuff. That was it. And I only knew the Al Capone stuff too before I looked it up. And this then is when all I when I uh crazy. Right. When I read like what happened in his later years and the way he died, a penniless and alone right. and well not alone. I guess he had a wife and a stepson, but they did did they love him? Right. I mean, come on. At this point you got a drunken mess. Right. He's a, a drunken, drunken mess. Probably angry, probably. Drunk, angry. Probably still angry at the way right. he brought down Al Capone, but he didn't. It, on record, it shows that the Robert Frank guy or whatever right. the guy's name is, the and the Wilson guy, got it because it was a tax evasion mm-hmm. and not he's and not fraud. the prohibition charges he felt that he was took a fraud, him down. Right, right. right. He's a fraud. I right. didn't do any of this. Yeah, I get it. Fifty-four years old, dies of a heart attack from drinking himself to death. Pretty much. much is what happened there. Uh, too much for him, man. Like I said at Sad the beginning, stuff. this ended just exactly how. 18 out of our 19 Wild West episodes. This is, this is straight from our Wild West. This could be wild, transported wild right into our Wild Wild West, uh, wild, wild West. Uh, episodes. But uh, even, even wild, uh, wild well, West. I can't say Capone because Capone died rich wild, in his wild, mansion. Wild. He might have been, he might have been uh, fucked up in the brain from his disease, but he was rich. Right, but Lucky he was, Luciano right. still had money so yeah. far. Um, Bugsy Siegel, he was still running the casino before he got killed through the window. Yeah, what are you going to do with Everybody that? else in the Prohibition area besides Elliot Ness, mm. they all went out on top pretty much. Right. It's crazy. Well, he's a policeman. That's what happens with policemen. They throw you up to the side when they're done. Right, like I said, it's the stereotypical 1950s drunken policeman right. that did something good turned, 20 years turned, ago. and then P.I. Right, right. <laughs> did something good 20 years ago and can't, or, or, or something right. messed up in his... He messed up a case 20 years ago, and he's still, right. you know, that sentiment right. to a whirlwind I mean, alcoholic. Millions of movies whatever. about it. Right. Millions of movies about right. it. Right. That's going to do it for Elliot Ness next. Ness. Next. Elliot Ness <laughs> next week. <laughs> Not really sure what we're going to do at the moment. Um, I think we realistically only have about two or maybe three, if we're lucky, Prohibition-centric episodes left. And then we'll get into the likes I mean, of Bonnie and Clyde, it's still Dillinger, gonna be prohibition Babyface, era. Nelson. I mean, era, but bank robbers and all that. Right. Kind of you know, there's other outlaws out there, but mm-hmm. besides just prohibition. I told you that, um, jackass. Right. Okay, but we're focused on prohibition right now, jackass. Prohibition era. No, prohibition crimes. And we're still in the prohibition era, but we're right. focused on prohibition crimes. Crimes. <laughs> there is a couple more. 
We'll probably, I think next week we'll do another Lawman episode, but there'll be two of them mixed in because they're pretty short stories on what we know about both of them, but they're pretty pretty famous in the uh, early years of Prohibition. Right. And then I think we, we could probably squeeze out one more of a famous rum runner. Other than that, I mean, there's not too much. What you can there's do, man? just not too much info on the lesser famous right. people that to to make an an a forty five minute episode out of. So, uh, yeah, and then we'll get started on Bonnie and Clyde, John Dinger, Babyface Nelson, all those nineteen thirties forties Depression era um, bank robbers slash criminals. So that's where we're at now. Go check out through the Mouthy Michiganders, our other podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, the Mouthy Michiganders. Right now, we're uh, we're just putting out the best of bang and dang. We call it right now until we figure out what we want to do. We might um, rebrand and redo some stuff there, but we have three almost three hundred episodes of backlog. So go check us out over there. And like we mentioned earlier, if you're into improv comedy type uh, stories or back and forth improv stuff. We got a special investigator series, Lee Danker, correspondent, Lee and right. Corey on the case. Where we're going to investigate crazy cases and, and stupid you, you have shit. To, you have to hear it to believe it. So go check out right. Lee and Corey on the case wherever you get your podcast once again. And we'll be back next week for, I guess you have to tune in then, um, where the Mouth of Michiganders with. You know who we are. Mm-hmm.